Welcome to The Write-Up, the podcast from First Publishing, all about writing, being a writer, how to write and what not to write, I suppose, is, is the headline. My name's Rob Maythorn. I am half of the team that runs First Publishing. Uh, my name's Rob Wickings. I'm the other half of the team that runs First Publishing. Hello, everyone. Hope you're okay. This podcast has kind of been off air for a little bit. We're going to try and bring it back a little bit now. Mm. Um, so we thought we'd pick up a common problem, or a common topic, shall we call it, that uh, we deal with when working with writers and being writers. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think is integral to almost every book. Um, but it's something that no one really tells you how to do. And that's the act of world building. Yeah, um, especially if you're into your science fiction and fantasy. But to be honest with you, um, world building applies to to just about any, any kind of, of fictional construct you like. It, it, it's about... Um, well, well, let's talk about what it is first. World building is the um, is the, is the art and the science of um, creating a kind of a realistic setting for your characters to um, uh, uh, to 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 have their drama unfold in. Would you would you not say, Rob? I, I would. The only part of that I question is the term realistic. Right. Okay. And I, I I would I would substitute that word with cohesive. Okay. Um, because I think that, especially in the world of science fiction and fantasy, mm. at some point you've got to leave realism at the door. Right. Um, but it's all about having a world that works and makes sense. Mm. Well, with that in mind, then, <laughs> allow me to retweak that and sort of say that, uh, especially for science fiction, you do have to have um, a very strong element of, of, of real science in there because mm. it, it's very easy to go sort of hand wavy and timey wimey and sort of talk about warp drives and artificial gravity and stuff like that but there has to be some sort of element at least of of real science in there because otherwise it can't can, uh, there's an awful lot of science fiction fans that will just throw your book away and just go oh well you know this couldn't actually ever work i mean despite the fact that obviously it's science fiction so there's, there's a very good chance it won't ever work but you know you, you you have to at least have in the back of your mind the fact that there is there's there, there's an element of realism at the heart of it. Yeah, I think this is kind of for me one of, one of the cruxes of, of world building and world building mm. is how much real you take with you. Sure. So that if you look at something like Doctor Who, okay, Doctor Who, well known, popular for years. Mm. The science of Doctor Who is a bit tenuous. <laughs> yeah, bigger well. on the inside, time travel, space travel. You know, regenerations. The, 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 it's it's tenuous. Oh, absolutely. But, but a lot of Doctor Who a takes place in modern um, world. It takes place in our history. So there's a lot of realism mm-hmm. in the world building that they go with. Mm-hmm. He's still a you know four limbed humanoid alien. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of realism that they take with it, and then you can kind of. You can just ride with the with the hand wavium of, of everything else, um, and I think this is like maybe not really, but like sort of like touchstones. It's like fantasy. Yeah, fantasy is a, is a great genre for world building. Sure, but you've got something like Tolkien esque worlds, 
And that's a language that the reader understands. It's yeah. a shorthand that they understand. Ah, now, now that's a very interesting term you've used just there because shorthand is is again important. There's the yeah. If you're into your science fiction and your fantasy, you will need to sort of glom onto certain tropes to make you feel instantly comfortable within mm. the world that you're investing your time and your money in. And yeah, absolutely. There's there there are certain well, let's let's take the example of maps, maps in books. Um, there are certain people that will not read a book if it doesn't have a map in it. There are other people um, who will go, who will actively put a back book back on the shelf and walk away with it with their hands raised should they be confronted with with said cartography. Um, I'm I'm sort of kind of in the middle of it, but yeah, you know, maps kind will will give you a signifier of someone that's been thinking long and hard about their world building, certainly. You know, however tenuous it might be, I think I think to, to, to shift a little bit more towards some some practical tips for our listeners. Mm. I think anyone who knows verse knows we tend to cover the uh, the more genre elements, and so fantasy something we deal with. Sure. And I think that as a fantasy writer, if you mm. are a fantasy writer, having a map is very very useful, even if it is just your map. Mm. I myself, I love a book with a map. If you give me a map in a book, I, I'm, I'm all over that. <laughs> I love maps. Um, I love ship plans. I love it when, when you have a like a non-fantasy book and it lays out a little map of a town. I love that stuff. You, you like blueprints, don't you? I love blueprints. I love them. <laughs> um, but I think that if you are writing a world in which there is a sort of a quest or a journey to be taken, it is important to have a map, even if it's something that you only have and i think that it's important that map makes sense mm. you know rivers flow downhill yeah that kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah you know understand why you have mountains where you have them even if your answer is magical wars yeah you need to know why your landscape is the way it is and obviously there is an, an element of it looks awesome or, or awesomeness in your story mm. which is brilliant yeah but you have to have an understanding of a little bit of how land masses work and also how those land masses affect things a town in a swamp by a you know by the sea is a very different town to one in the mount- snowy mountains yeah but i do think if you're writing if you're creating like a whole world we say world building sometimes that world is our world and you're building a world within it but if you're building a whole physical world having a map even if it is a loosely sketched back of a napkin world having that is a really useful tool mm, yeah absolutely i'd agree with that there are so many fantasy novels out there that that have paid very little attention to um notions of geography or um or the way land masses work and, and you end up with with countless worlds that just basically have a single continent and and very little going on yeah it, it, it's it's a really simple analog for for our world basically so you have sort of your mongols out out in the far east and you have your sort of uh loose italian types in 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 the, in the south and you know sort of veering down into sort of african kind of stuff as you as you go sort of the other side of the equator and <clears throat> sadly even fantasy beho- behemoths like george rr R. martin you know fall into this exact this exact same issue with with the game of thrones books where you know 
they're fantastic, but the geography is kind of a bit kind of well, yeah, you know, we know where we are because it's such a such a blatant sort of crib on on, on what exists. Really, there's no sense of trying to go sort of far further away from that. And this is what we were talking about earlier with with, with shorthand and touchstones, I suppose. Is that yeah, you can. It's about as a writer finding the line between using a shorthand and being lazy. Mm. You know, if if George R. R. Martin, I'm a big fan of his work. There are times when you're like, that's a little lazy. Yeah. You know, the 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 the, uh, the, the uh, Drogos and and the Carls of of the uh, eastern area. It's a little too on the nose. Mm. The south and the sort of the sunnier climate, and the, it's a little too on the nose at times. But that's that's writing. That you, you're finding that the balance between those two things is a large part of writing, mm. and it's, it's easy you find that line between shorthand and, and laziness, I suppose. Yeah. Now, where Game of Thrones does work is in its use of history, and specifically, kind of English history of the say 15th and 16th century. It's 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 a massive part of why Game of Thrones works so successfully because. Martin's taken the, the, the sort of machinations of the Tudor era, 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 and mapped them onto onto his his world building, and that's what makes mm. them so strong. Because that you know there there are very specific incidents in history that relate very very strongly to very specific incidents in the Game of Thrones books, and that's where it, where it kind of works because he, you know it, he's 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 kind of using history as as the as the bedrock and the framework for his world building so he's got a solid framework there and then he can just go nuts on it and to a certain extent that's what world building is about it's about having having your foundations in place and mm. and having your history and your geography and everything else in place and, and, and i mean certainly the joy of science fiction is that you will have maybe that kind of um that kind of solid bedwork in place, but then you just give it everything a little spin, and that informs the story as a whole. I think this, this ties back into the well-known phrase of uh, stealing from one person's plagiarism, stealing from everybody's inspiration. Yes, absolutely right. And your world building, as a sort of a practical tip, is you can crib this from everywhere. Mm. If you like a little bit of world building, take it. If you take enough bits of world building from enough different places. That's world building. You've only got a map that looks a little bit like, let's say, Switzerland. Yeah. Um, you've stolen a couple of bits of history from America. You've stolen a couple of bits of history from Australia. You've stolen, you know, a long dead king from Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You, that's how you can build up world building. Obviously, as a writer, part of the joy is the creation of your own history yeah. or your own world. But if if you're struggling with where to start with this stuff, grab a history book. Grab something like that. That will be amazing place and as you say George R. R. Martin's done a great work of just taking these historical moments twisting them through the lens of his world a little bit and his his view mm. and he's popped out with a epic history of Westeros that then fleshes out and expands the entire backstory of of the story and that's kind of why we're looking at world building and why it's important uh, we should probably have this right at the start <laughs> is that this is this is the bedrock on which your story lives yeah and this is what makes your story Work. You know, everyone's heard the phrase "Deus ex machina," where yeah. at the end of the f- end of the story, out of nowhere comes a solution that saves the day. Mm. Strong world building 
prevents that because you established early on that this is possible or this thing can happen. Hmm. Um, I'm going to drop some spoilers now for um, Game of Thrones. If anyone, anyone isn't entirely up to date on, on Game of Thrones, uh, I will, uh, you want to turn off the next few minutes. But in the very last episode of Game of Thrones, Cersei blows up the Septon, hmm. killing everybody in it with wildfire. Now, the only reason that wildfire exists there is because the Mad King, who was before Game of Thrones even started, was stockpiling it to blow up King's Landing in case he'd be lost the war. And that's world building. Up until now, that has been world building. This Mad King that was assassinated by Jaime um, and everything by Robert was world building. Mm. But that bit of world building, X six seasons later, has come back around and matters now. And the reason why that suddenly her having piles of wildfire to do this isn't a data machina is because that world building has been established six seasons ago yeah yeah the, the, this is how you avoid that surprise in the story where hang on that makes no sense mm. you, you you have this kind of this bedrock to pull and also it's, it's a history to pull things from yeah absolutely now the question is 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 did george rr R. martin always have that big bang in mind when he first started writing it was he that well plotted or did he kind of have things in place and then thought ah th- because this is in place i can do this and that 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 can you know in that way the 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 author can be as surprised as the reader mm. in some places you know you come to that realization where actually i've stuck this here means that i can do this later and that really works. The, the trick is not to cheat your readers. It's not to, as you say, do the deus ex machina or or have something come out of nowhere. I think if if there's nothing wrong with with say introducing stuff later on that that does make an impact on your world building, but at the same time, you know, have 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 your foundations in place, and then you can work from there. There's no reason why say you know you've got your house, you you've built your house, you can always put another extension on it i suppose or you can change mm. the kitchen but you know you never change the foundations so yeah is, is that a bit of a stretch metaphor do you know what i'm t- talking about there i know what we're talking about but I, I i will actually actually possibly disagree with you a little bit there okay okay i think that when it comes to world building which as i was saying has the foundations one of the lovely perks of writing a book or a novel or a short story is you get to go back and change them afterwards yeah, 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 absolutely. So if you reach, you know, three quarters of your booking, like, hang on, I've got them into a situation here where there's no way to get them out. Then you can go back in your story and adjust that world building to give them a way out. If you look at something like like uh, Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Harry Potter books, um, they will give me spoilers again for all seven books. Uh-oh. Uh, Harry Potter has, a, has an invisibility cloak, which at the end of it turns out to be a very infamous, famous invisibility cloak. Right, um, and it's part of the Deathly Hallows of, the, of which the, the last book is named. Ah, right. But I genuinely don't believe that that was J.K. Rowling's plan in book one. It was just an invisibility cloak because no one in book one is surprised at this cloak. It's just clearly a magical artifact that people have. Oh, you've got really, it's, it's, it's a fancy one, but you have one. Mm-hmm. And that bit of world building came later. And I think that there's a an advantage as a writer. When you are doing this world building in the in the early part of this, to almost ignore Chekhov's gun. Mm. If you want to put something in, put it in. If it comes to the end of the book and you haven't used it, you can always go back and remove it. 
mm. or you can leave it in for a bit of just texture and flavour. So if it, I'm 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 trying to be all about the practical tips today for, for for the writers, but if you are trying to write a story and build some world around it, feel free to drop as many things into it as you like. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago in Moorcock's Method. Mm, yes. So he had just a collection of things, you know, the the, the, the grab haber of thunder to throw into a novel if need be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to have these things because you just kind of, you can litter your story with these bits and bobs. And so when you need something online, it's there to grab. But you've got to tie it to our first principle that it's got to be cohesive. It's got to have an element of realism. It's got to make sense in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and making sense in, in some ways is is more important. Uh, you you can kind of science science it up as much as you like, but um, yeah, yeah, cohesiveness and not cheating the reader is is rule number one, really. I'd say. Exactly. I think we've all seen those movies, read those books, where you're like, well, that kind of came out of nowhere, and like, it, it doesn't have the same satisfying payoff as something you've been with for the entire movie or book coming back mm. and being in the payoff like, there's a, a much happier ending to a um to a story when you're like ah i see how that worked yes you know I, I i've been on a journey that led me to that ending rather than i've been on a journey and then it ended yeah yeah as you as you say it, it, it's the sort of stuff that you can while you're writing actually just just drop in or take out as you need and the you, i i i think as a writer, you'd find, you're going to find that more satisfying anyway. If you can sort of do that and, and, and drop a little hint of something in right at the beginning and then bring it back in at the end, you're going to feel, ah, uh, I've done something clever there. And that's that's always a good sign as a writer, mm. just just to be able to sort of go, yeah, yeah, I think they'll like that. You know, if, if you're providing fun for the reader, then it's fun as a writer as well, and that's important as well. And I think it's also about knowing the audience you're writing for you know we, we, we publish sort of horror horror um collections and that stuff and yeah. zombie books yeah and very often with like a zombie book you don't need that much history because very often they're based on our real world gone to crap yeah absolutely so you don't need to have that much invested world building and as a reader you aren't after invested world but you aren't after a lush lush landscape of historical anecdotes when it comes to a zombie book no but if you're writing epic fantasy uh robin hobbs stuff game of thrones stuff that kind of thing yeah that's what as a reader your audience is after if i pick up a you know a a a, a half a foot thick fantasy novel i want to get lost in a world yes there's a story and a narrative i'm following but i want to be i want to be sold a world that i want to live in or i want to be see at least yeah and that's what you you're shooting for now, yeah there are exceptions to this i think ya itself ya young uh, adult fiction has a bit of a weird pass it says of it can presume a world with no real history hmm. if you have an interesting idea like kids fight every four years for the, the elites or Load of kids in a maze, getting to escape, or whatever the the, the 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 hook of your YA fantasy is. There is a bit of a pass on the world building to get there, mm, I th- if it's interesting enough. Yeah, I, th- I think that that then you, you're into the sort of whole notion of the high concept or the elevator pitch, mm, where, you, where you've got your idea first, and then things come from that. In, in a certain extent, that can, the world building from that can be 
eked in as you go through. I think that you know, there's certainly a sense of, uh, with the Hunger Games book, certainly, in that you, you, you got more sense of what the world was like as you moved through the book. You, know, you, you, you were sort of doing the journey with Katniss, if you like, in, in that Katniss started mm. off you know, in this very small bubble and then that bubble gradually expanded. And as that bubble expanded, we saw what she was seeing. But, you know, it, is it a case that Suzanne Collins had the whole thing mapped out or or was she kind of doing a little bit of discovery writing in there at the same time as, a, you know, giving Katniss the chance to be as surprised as she was by what she was seeing? Yeah, I mean, and, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that YA is in any way less good fiction. Hmm. It's more about knowing what the audience expects. The audience of YA isn't after... A social political experience or how, or how world broke, broke down so bad to end up in three three thirteen colonies yeah that isn't what that 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 genre is about yeah whereas fantasy is much more about knowing the king who was the son of this and wore a red goblet and drank you know summer wine was eating quails yeah. that is very much what that genre is about and it's about knowing your genre and yeah world building generally comes into its awe as we said before in the world of fantasy and sci-fi yeah sci-fi obviously you're selling us a whole new world yeah so you've got to make it work fantasy is a bit of the same but fantasy i think has much more of a more of a genre expectation of this kind of writing yeah definitely and and i think in, in fantasy there's a lot more of the hard work that goes into the world building before you even start with the characters or the plot or anything like that because you need to have that 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 stuff in place beforehand i i know of a one particular writer um who's a who's kind of a member of my writing group and he's just spent months and months and months just getting his world in place so yeah there's there's a I've got the feeling he actually enjoys it so much that it's it's kind of difficult to get to the point where he's he's going to just start writing the book. But you know, there you go. Everyone's got to have a hobby. Genuinely, and uh, I think that there is a serious point to that: is that world building is very useful and very important, Mm. but it isn't your story. No, that's Uh, desperately important. And it's important to remember that the world building serves your story. It serves and informs your story, aren't you? Mm. But it isn't your story and I mean Game of Thrones is an extreme example I've got a book literally in front of me here called The History of Westeros and that breaks down every single king that Westeros has ever had and it's brilliant but none of that is in the actual books well I mean, and I think uh, there the, are the influences and knowing it's important but I think you've got to at a certain point you've got to have an end goal of thinking yeah, this is my world building mm. and at a certain point I think I've got to actually start writing the book because I think we all know writers, as Rob says, who have spent years writing their world, but haven't actually put a pen to paper on on their narrative or their story yet. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a tricky thing to get right. It's very easy to either get just get bogged down in the details or just be enjoying what you're doing and building the world so much that the actual st- plot characters just kind of go out the window a little bit. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Try, try and have a little bit of perspective on there as well. You know, you are writing for an audience at the end and, of the I day. I mean, I completely understand why that happens. You know, world building can be great fun because it's a blank sheet to play with, mm. and you haven't got to too much express the emotions and tension of the character. You can say, "Well, this king did this," mm. and that's a much easier process than saying, "Well, why did this king do this? What led to that?" You know, 
a whole story is a very is a more complex beast than writing a world building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I completely understand how you get there. Um, so we're heading towards the end of the podcast. Do, mm-hmm. you, so do you have any, I suppose, last minute practical tips for world building? I would well, just do your reading, basically. You know, if, you, if if you're interested in putting together a world that's got kind of um, historical bent to it, you know, read those. Um, I, 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 I tell you what are good actually as as basic as basic you know well sort of ways to get yourself in are a lot of the sort of historical and science magazines that are around now the popular history and popular science magazines are very very good at giving you base details which you can then go off and explore and do your own thing but but things like say uh, focus or all about history which are relatively cheap to pick up. Um, but they can be really, really useful as as giving you kind of a, a a sort of starting kick, and then sort of go from there. Really, you know, use your libraries, use the internet, use use Wikipedia, use whatever you need to. But yeah, if you're in, if you want to do your world building, you you are going to have to do an awful lot of reading. So be prepared for that. But then, as we as we know, um, writers should also be readers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you aren't reading, you aren't writing. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would add to that um, a couple of points. Uh, one of which is draw a map. I, I, I can't stress enough that even if it's a star chart, even if it's a map of your na- of your neighbourhood you're setting your story in, even if it's a map of the room in which your story takes place, have a physical sketch of what that room looks like because then you'll know where everything is when you're writing. Mm. Secondly, have an understanding of the geography of where you are so why is your town the way it is and also make your town different based on where it is we've all read stories where every spaceport's the same every inn is the same and you use your world building to inform and create differences in Mm. your story yeah 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 secondly remember that world building is not writing absolutely not although it's yeah go on uh, I was just going to say it might not be writing, but it can be an enormous amount of fun. So yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I, 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 I for, for, for me, I am a uh, dungeon master for a weekly D and D game, and that is all world building. Ah. There is very little narrative act, and I love it, absolutely love it. But I'm well aware it, it isn't writing a, a novel, it isn't writing a story. Hmm. Would you say those sort of skills do have do have a place in in writing? Though, yeah, obviously because you, because you you are building some something that will have a narrative mapped on top of it. Do you find that useful in in your writing? I do, um, but I would say that the, it's more useful for me to actually play to ha- have it have it with players, because they will instinctively find that little bit of the world that you haven't planned. <gasps> ah, stress testing it. Now that's ideal. Yes, that's brilliant. Um, and and that's because because if you map out, if you map out a world and you present it to them, and they're like, "Well, why is that like that?" Mm. Um, and they may run with that and you have to kind of invent a story behind it but they will very quickly in my experience find the bits where you haven't quite got it right or you've made haven't made it interesting or you haven't made, you've made it dull because they're the ones trying to live this world mm. um, and that is as you say it's a great stress test for a story I'm not saying everyone should start a D&D group because it's not for everybody <laughs> um, being, being a DM is a lot of rules on top of the world building yeah. but in my experience it is a great stress test for a, for a world you're building oh fantastic and also it helps that if you present a world and you can work out what's interesting to people. Yes. You can see to them what what is the interesting world and interesting point of this world that they want to go and run with. And you go, well, that's, if, if, if the, the whole group thinks it's interesting, well, is there something there? Mm. 
And that can very well be a bit of the world that you hadn't really thought was being particularly important. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Get, you know, go, go, go be a dungeon master, I think, is the lesson we're learning from this. I agree, I agree. So we always run in the podcast with some inspirations mm-hmm. of the podcast. Rob? Uh, okay. Um, it would be very easy in, in the current political situation to talk about Brexit, but I'm not going to do that, although it has been inspiring my writing in all sorts of different ways. Um, I'm going to inter- instead mention a location where I've been recently, which is um, we took a holiday up in the Lake District and went to a place called Coniston, um, which is a pretty wild bit of the um, of the Lake District. And we stayed in particular in a little um, copper miners cottage, which was kind of a, a 15 minute walk away from Coniston itself, which is a lovely little village. But it's kind of up a steep track, steep and rocky track that got gradually steeper and rockier and less, less welcoming. Um, but the environment we were in was just so wonderful and peaceful and it was a great place to actually sit and do some writing, which which I did a little bit of. But it it it, it was a place with a real sense of its own history and geography that was very different to what I'm used to on a daily basis. Um, and I just found it an incredibly inspiring place. Um, we're certainly keen to go back there very very soon again, just because it is just such an amazing area to to be in and to write in. So I've I'm I'm sorely tempted to say that I've finally found my 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 writing retreat sweet spot in in this tiny mm. little cottage out in the middle of nowhere, and it is you know it, we are fifteen twenty minutes walk away from it, from from our nearest neighbours, so that's that's great. So yeah yeah that's what I talk about. See, I, I've seen too many horror films embrace that. Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's old. It's an old copper mine, so of course you've kind of got this immediate th- thought of ah, what if the old, the ghosts of the old copper miners start coming back out and they sort of glom on to this one isolated cottage with the light flickering in the window? So there you go. It's ideal, isn't it? No, no, like <laughs> that's how I never sleep again. That's, uh, yeah. uh, so, so Rob, what's your inspiration for? So my inspiration is. A trilogy of books. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone who's a reader will happily admit there are probably some blind spots they're reading. Mm-hmm. There's authors they've just never kind of gotten into, yeah, um, or authors that they've just never even touched. But everyone's saying they should. Have. And for me, one of those writers is John Scalzi. Ah, yes. Just never you know, knew the name, and it's like, oh yeah, check them out. But I've just never got round checking them out. Mm-hmm. So Christmas just gone. My parents asked what I wanted. I said books, and I want some John Scalzi. So they bought me a collection, including the Old Man's War series, which is probably his most famous trilogy, yeah. which is about an, an old man going off and joining the uh, intergalactic army, fighting other species across the universe. It is hard sci-fi space opera military. Mm-hmm. Um, there's three books in the series, Old Man's War, Ghost Brigades, and The Last Colony. Um, and they all deal with different aspects of space warfare, space colonization, and they're just brilliant. They work with this week's topic. They are very the world they build is very good, and there are a couple of data mechanisms in it, but they do all have a basis in the world. There's all a reason why they'd be the way they were. But yeah, I, there's a reason why everyone knows his name. There's a reason why everyone raised by his work. They're very well written. They're very well plotted. The world building is excellent. 
um, almost from the first chapter you're you're brought into this world that is entirely different to the world we know so yeah I can't recommend it enough no I, I, I can only agree with that the only point I would make is that there are more um, old man's war books so you know get yourself on those Rob because the stories just keep getting better and better um, then I will I will check the rest all I've got I've been bought this trilogy in, in, a, in a box set Cool, cool, yeah. Uh, of those first three, so I've got the rest. The most recent example of of, this, of the stories he actually released as a series of, of sort of nested kind of novellas, straight short stories. So you've got the whole serial aspect going on as well, and and they are they're very very good. Um, the, the end of all things they're called. So so recommended highly highly. I will uh, check them all out. Please do. So guys, hopefully we'll see you back here at the next episode. But for now, my name's Rob. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Kaiju. Uh, my name's Rob, and you can find me on Twitter at Konohito. That's C-O-N-O-J-I-T-O. Keep writing. The Write-Up is a production of Verse Publishing. Please check us out on Twitter at Verse Books and Facebook as Verse Publishing. See you next week. <laughs>